DeAndre Hopkins, Cardinals receiver, pointing out with the team tweeting his stats over the weekend or last week, as they said, I'm only worth a second rounder. Well, it was more than a second rounder. It was David Johnson, which actually, I don't know. David Johnson was kind of a little Brock Osweiler deal for the Cardinals. So I don't know what they really gave up to get DeAndre Hopkins, but the Texans clearly should have kept him in a year of some bad, bad moves and decisions by the Texans. That's probably one of the worst, Chris. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it definitely is. And the other aspect, hey, it does not about the, the trade of the second rounder, too. It's, again, you know, the context matters here a little. The Texans couldn't pay him. They could not pay him. Wouldn't. What he was, wouldn't. Or wouldn't, but really, what were they going to do? Pay Watson, Tunzel, and DeAndre Hopkins 70% of the salary cap? So they couldn't. They, 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 was, they were kind of in a tough spot, and they knew he was about to ask for more money and to be the highest-paid receiver. So that was part of the trade aspect as well, and we can't forget that. I think it was a little more than that. That SI.com deep dive into the rise of Jack Easterby at one point said that Easterby referred to Hopkins on multiple occasions as that person. There was some acrimony there, and it really dates back to the Anthem stuff when the late Bob McNair said we can't have the inmates running the prison. That almost prompted Hopkins to leave, to, to just walk out, and they, they had issues. I, I, I just think that that there was something more to it. When you Definitely. look at what the Cardinals yeah. gave DeAndre Hopkins by way of a new contract, it wasn't so dramatically more than what he was getting. If they really wanted to do it, they could have done it. And it's DeAndre Hopkins. Look, look, at, look at what they had without him, and look at what it did, not just the fact that they traded and the way they handled it. Well, Sean Watson with, found out about it on social media, Yeah, and that's contributed to the – predicament they're currently in yeah no Mike I I won't disagree with I mean I definitely think some of the things you said there are certainly you know play to to the matter at hand there and hey let's not forget this aspect too Dwayne Brown's been a pretty good damn teammate guy his whole career he didn't like it there either for a lot of those same reasons you know so listen we we got more than just a little bit of evidence to say you know there's some crap going on down there in Houston that a lot of players don't like and last year it was that Hopkins trade that was the big offseason move for the NFC West teams collectively. This year we've already got a trade ready to go. 17 days from now, 4.01 p.m. Eastern, Matthew Stafford officially arrives as the quarterback of the L.A. Rams. Jared Goff officially leaves the Rams, sending two future first-rounders and a third-rounder this year to make that transaction happen. Does the addition of Matthew Stafford to the Rams make the Rams the favorite they are the favorite should that be the case plus 165 via points bet is that fair in your assessment when you consider the other teams Chris I, I do I think it's fair I, I think you know uh, all those teams got a little work Seattle you know we know where they're at the 49ers got a few moves they got to make you know the Rams aren't perfect but damn when you just look at that defense of course McVay's ability to run the ball the running backs are set up and everything like that um, hey, the offensive line we know can use a little work. There's no doubt about that, too. But I, I look at them as the favorite in, in the NFC West. I do. And I think they're going to be dangerous with Matthew Stafford pulling the trigger out there. I really I, I expect them to be a lot more explosive. And I think Sean McVay is going to be able to open up the offense you know, a, a, a few levels more just because of Stafford and his abilities and what he can do. Another encouraging development for the Rams, Cam Akers, second-round pick from Florida right. State last year. 
McVeigh had a media session last week, and he said, among many other things, he spoke for a very long time, but he said Cam Akers is an every-down back, and I, I think he's earned that. It was three guys going into 2020. It's one guy now in Cam Akers, and, and that will help. Not that he's Todd Gurley or that he's going to be Todd Gurley in his heyday, but that's when Jared Goff was at his best. You give Matthew Stafford a back like that, no and he's doubt. never had a back like that. Right. Man, that, that makes things different for Stafford as well, Chris. Uh, agreed. I mean, Akers is, is nice. They got a nice compliment to him. But you're right. Akers is a guy that we saw can be a little bit of a game breaker and can do it all. I mean, run between the tackles, bounce it outside, take it up the sideline for 60 yards. He's got everything about it. I, I saw him in person at Florida State. Was impressed with him. The, impressed with him the second I saw him. You could ask me and Mike Tirico a few years back. We were we were gushing about the guy. He's big time. So you know that that the offensive side of the ball, and then you talk about the tight ends and Woods and Cooper Cup, and you know the uh, the 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 kid they took out of Florida last year, Jefferson Vance, right? And they they're set up. Uh, Vance, excuse me, uh, they're set up for Matt Stafford to take full advantage of this offense and really make some big-time plays on that side of the ball. You know, I, I, I don't sit here and go, hey, you know, their offensive line, we know, hey, Whitworth up there in age. Could there be a few improvements on the offensive line? Certainly, but there's not a lot of offensive issues I have with the Rams when I look at them. Even with the offensive line, I go, man, McVay's the master of managing a game and also – figuring out how to hide little deficiencies within that offensive line, too. That's where I give them a lot of credit. So I don't look at the offense as a big thing for them this offseason. The defense, on the other hand, they got some work cut out for them here on that side of the ball because of some of the free agents they got. Well, and because Brandon Staley's gone, Raheem Morris is in as the coordinator. Yep. So you've got transition again. Sooner than Sean McVay thought he would ever have that transition, surely he would have liked to have kept Staley around for another year or so, especially when McVay is one of these offensive coordinators who basically abdicates responsibility for the defense to the coordinator. I still have that image of McVay sitting on the Gatorade tub with his his play sheet and, and his and his Microsoft Surface getting ready for the next offensive drive while Wade Phillips was basically running the team. He needs someone he can trust that way. Yeah, and he will. He'll be able to trust Raheem. I mean, Raheem is, you know, an ex-head coach. Tampa, of course, what he did this year in Atlanta – and he's going to be able to manage that defense and let them fly around. It might not look exactly the same as Brandon Staley and how they attacked it, but nonetheless, I still think it could be one of the top units in football on the defensive side of the ball. But they're, you know, they, they have two marquee free agents, in my opinion, that I look at that go, how is this going to work out? You know, they're not in the best salary caps, uh, you know, situation as we know, and Leonard Floyd was special for them last year. Leonard Floyd is a, a really, really good football player. Yeah, he's not like an on the average a 12 sacks a year type of guy, but wow, can he do a lot. And he's awesome in all – he's really, really good in all aspects of the game. So you have him and then John Johnson at safety. You know, I talked about him kind of in depth last week on my, my podcast, Mike. He's one of the five best safeties in football for my money, for sure. Can they can they figure that out? I mean, can they keep uh, – they got to try to keep one of them, certainly. And I don't know if they can possibly keep two with, with the status they're at right now. Yeah, look, that that's the problem when you constantly flip first-round picks for veterans that you have to pay big money to. You end up 
with with not enough guys who are working for relatively less than what veterans command, especially if you have great players. You can only pay so many people. And when you are watching so much money walk away, like Brandon Cooks, like Todd Gurley, like Jared Goff, it exacerbates the problem. And this was something Peter King mentioned on Friday, and and this leads to my next point as to how much pressure Sean McVay is under. Because at some point, Stan Kroenke is going to start looking at the numbers and looking at the return and looking at all this money that has been paid to guys that they are either cutting or trading away. And in the case of Jared Goff, even though it's not obvious from the surface, they gave up draft capital to get that contract off the books. Right. At some point, at some point, there's an awkward conversation to be had between Stan Kroenke and Sean McVay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, and and Les Snead along with that. There, there's no doubt. Hey, they 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 play on the edge. That I don't know. You know, I love them because they're aggressive as hell. They really are. And it is like every year, how are we going to make a move to try to win the Super Bowl? I love that aspect about them. Because of that, though, and years of leverage and doing those things like you've talked about, it's put them in a tough spot. There's no doubt. Their, their one you know, saving grace is that they've been very good in the draft. You know, Even with the guys that aren't marquee names, you'd go – you know, who the hell is this guy? Whoa, he's he's playing good for them. They just got so many of those guys around the roster, too, to where, you know, they've been able to kind of prove us all wrong with the way they attack it. And and that's been interesting. But you're right. They're playing with fire. They're on the edge. And there's not a ton of depth on the football team. And fortunately for them, they haven't had to deal with the injury bug a whole lot the last few years either. And the fact that they've done well in the later rounds of the draft, it creates an irony, and I do think the word properly applies in this context. As I've said before, I never know thanks to that damn song. But one of the theories out there is that they're constantly trading away their first-round picks because they don't want to be judged for blowing first-round picks. And in my estimation, that is a scar from what they did with the picks they got in the RG3 trade nine years ago because Les Snead was the GM at the time. So you never get you never get killed for blowing your first-round pick if you take those first-round picks and turn them into proven players. Well, I, I think there's certainly some truth to that. I don't, I don't deny that. I, I, you know, the other thing, too, I, I do wonder at times is just how long are Les Snead and Sean McVay in this for? You know, we heard rumblings about Sean McVay in the Monday night booth and all of that stuff a few years ago. You know, I know there's some people in league circles that think he could do the whole John Gruden route. You know, he's a psycho. So he is the type of guy like a Dick Vermeil or a John Gruden who can kind of burn himself out and maybe may need to take a, a, a step away from the game at some point. So that's another thing that at least crosses my mind when they make these moves to where maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they're like talking to each other and going, hey, we're only going to do this for three more years. So let's just, hey, let's go hell, all in. Let's they, try to get the hell let's with the next the regime. Ring. Right. Let's just yeah. us try to win and see where it goes. At, at least it's crossed my mind several times. Once Tony Romo got to 18 million a year. Oh, game changer. In the broadcast booth. I think that's prompted a lot of coaches and players to think, wow, the, the streets are paved with gold if you can get <laughs> one of these spots. Now, good luck. Good luck getting one of the spots. But I agree with you. McVeigh has the opportunity to slide into a broadcast booth, be kind of like a John Gruden. And and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but to the extent that 
that we have some Monday Night Football games on ABC next year, that's going to put pressure on ESPN and Disney to pump up that booth, and it's yeah. going to it's going to put more money in play. And you never know. You never know. Right. I mean, well, Jimmy Johnson left the Cowboys in late April. Now it was different circumstances, but you, you, somebody shows up to Sean McVay and drops a pile of money on his desk that is as much or more than what he's making right. to coach the Rams with much less can work. You rule, <laughs> can you rule out that he'd say, "I'm out of here"? Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I wouldn't rule it out for myself. I mean, at what point are you truly locked in for the next year? Yeah, I, I don't know. What's I, I'd have to do the research to see what the latest retirement or resignation was for a coach into an offseason. It's one thing to get fired like Jimmy Johnson kind of was. But, you know, if if this deal goes – now, I don't think the new Monday Night Football thing would kick in until next year, so that probably wouldn't happen. I just think it's something – you're right, we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. Absolutely need to keep an eye on. Yeah, keep an eye on. Certainly, The Matt Stafford thing's going to give him some juice, and I think he's going to want to see this through to a degree. So that I, 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 But I think it's something to, to look forward you know, to a few years down the road. Do I think that's a possibility? Uh, I certainly think, you know – the the look of the situation could lend itself to that possibly happening to like what you're saying. Yeah. Uh and and that means they keep burning bright as long as they can to try to get that Super Bowl win that they 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 almost got a couple yeah. of years ago. And they've still got some great players on the team. The question is can they pull it all together? Can they get it done? Matthew Stafford definitely makes them better. Nothing against Jared Goff. Stafford makes them better. The expectations will be higher as we saw at the top of the segment. The points bet Sportsbook has them as the favorites from a betting perspective. The 49ers getting guys healthy, right? Zero and zero. You get them all healthy, and you assume they're going to be healthy. That's one of the things I love about the offseason. We always assume that everyone's going to be healthy because we have no idea who's going to get injured and when and for how long. So we just go into it thinking everyone's going to be healthy. If the 49ers can keep everyone healthy, even if Jimmy Garoppolo is still the quarterback, Chris— this is a team that can be dangerous and disruptive in the NFC. No question. No question. I mean, we saw them be dangerous and disruptive with, you know, less than quarterback play and a ton of injuries, you know, at the end of the year and, and really lost some heartbreaking games where they outplayed teams and kind of just lost because they made bad mistakes and did bad things. I mean, that's, that's really all there is to it. So, I, I mean, I'm certainly not counting out the 49ers, especially with you know, Kyle Shanahan and his creativity on the offensive side of the ball. And yeah, we know when Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, they're damn good. You look at their offense and go, hey, there, there's not much there we got to look at. You know, the receivers, the tight end, it's all in place. Could maybe they get another running back into the shuffle because we've seen that they, you know, can get banged up and that's a very important position. But I don't know if there's anything, you know, dramatic that needs to be done there. The, the, the thing I at least look at with them, Trent Williams is a free agent. You know, offensive line plays are crucial for Kyle Shannon and how he plays, you know, especially at that tackle position. He asks, he asks of that position maybe more than any in all of football because of his creativity and everything he does. You're a left tackle. Not only you got to pass protect, you got to be able to get it up to the second level, all the creative screens, the reverses, the speed sweeps. Trent Williams is the best left tackle in football for my money right now. So can they figure out how to re-sign him and get him back? That would be, you know, that'd be the first thing I would look at. They have that Kyle Juszczyk, who's kind of that hybrid fullback, tight end, jack-of-all-trades guy. I know Shanahan loves those type of football players. They look at him, but overall, the offense, I think, is in a good spot. The defense, you, like the front seven, when healthy, special still. It is special. The, the, to me, the big thing for the 49ers is their secondary. 
there, there's a lot of question marks there. There, there has to be, you know, an improvement in talent and depth and everything. We don't think Sherman's going to be back. Jaquaski Tark, the free agent. Uh, uh, Jason Verrett's there and played really well, but we know, I mean, his whole career's been injured. So that's the position I look at as a, just the glaring, you know, beaking red light or uh, blinking red light. <laughs> I conf- confuse myself. Beaking, there. that's Be- fine. Beaking, yes. <laughs> but that's where I look at the the their That'll biggest. That'll never show up again. Improvement, I'm sure. I'm sure it won't. But that's where I look. Their their biggest improvement needs to be done on their football team. Last week, John Lynch, the GM of the team, said that he has no doubt that Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starter in 2021. I think it's what he had to say. What are you taking here, Garoppolo or the field, as the week one starting quarterback for the 49ers? Right now, I'm going to take Garoppolo. I'm going to. The, the only thing I look at that just a, like jumps out to me as a possibility. Because I don't think they got enough ammo to get a Deshaun Watson without kind of like ruining their team a little bit to go get him. To me, the one move that I still look out to go Jimmy G, not the guy, the guy guaranteed yet, is the Jets and Sam Darnold. That would be the only one. And I don't know how the 49ers really feel about him, um, but... Sam Darnold is a guy like we've talked about. I still have faith in. I think he can be an NFL starting quarterback. I think he'd fit that Shanahan system. And the Jets are in a very good spot at number two right now. And these damn quarterbacks that I've been evaluating, they're, they're damn good. So I could see them taking a quarterback and Sam Darnold being available. That's the last obstacle I think Jimmy G's camp will have to overcome uh, for him to be the starter next year. Would they take Cousins if he was available? Kirk Cousins, Vikings quarterback. I think the Vikings are not going to trade him because they would need an upgrade because Cousins in this year can help save jobs in Minnesota. But if he was available, would would Kyle want to grab him as an upgrade to Jimmy Garoppolo? I think we've been down this road before. Cousins stays healthy. That's the difference. He's better and he stays healthy. Yeah, in my heart of hearts, I would say yes. If again, if they don't have to give up too much, and it's an apples for apples type of thing, yeah. I, I mean, what you said right there, he's he stays healthy and he's just better. So uh, that at least for for my evaluation standpoint, and again, I, Jimmy G is is real good. You can win football games. You can win the Super Bowl with him, especially with Kyle Shanahan coaching. You know, I I do believe that. But that's, you know, a big if, like we've talked about. We hit it last week. So, yes, if it was apples to apples and there wasn't have to give up too much for the 49ers, I think they would make the trade for, for a Jimmy uh, or a Kirk Cousins. They have got to get better backups, though. We've talked about that. Nick Mullins, no. C.J. Beathard, no. A hundred percent. No and right. no, it's time to move on. I think those two guys have aged Kyle Shanahan more than anything else the past couple of years. (laughs) Agreed. He's got a lot more grays. I'll say that for sure. And you're spot on. They got to. They can't roll the dice on a really good team anymore on these underwhelming backup quarterbacks. Uh, I got to think a Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andy Dalton, uh, a Mitch Trubisky. They got to have a legitimate backup quarterback this year that is a known commodity that you know at least has some talent and can win some football games and at the very least not mess them up like the other two guys you just mentioned. 
I love the idea of Trubisky going to San Francisco because it was the San Francisco pick that the Bears used after they traded up from <laughs> right. three to two in the 2017 draft <laughs> to get Trubisky. There's some poetry to that possibility. And Fitzpatrick, it's come out recently that he wants to go somewhere and compete to be a starter. Look, I, I, you know how I feel about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's great when he's used in the right moments for the right doses. When you make him the guy, you are just you're setting the egg timer for that moment where he has four interceptions and it just falls apart. And and if you know when to put him in and when to put him out and when to put him in and when to put him out, he can be very good. I don't know that any other team is going to be looking for a relief pitcher like the Dolphins had with right. him and Tua last year, but I kind of would like him as the the protection against Jimmy Garoppolo either getting injured or you know, if Garoppolo if Garoppolo goes out there and throws several interceptable balls like he did in the playoff game against the Vikings, maybe if you got Ryan Fitzpatrick on the sideline, you, you can send him in to get your cookies out of the fire if things are, are looking bad one day. Well, I, 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 that's the greatness of, of Ryan Fitzpatrick. He doesn't care or bat an eye no matter what situation he's in. You know he's going to understand the offense and do those type of things. And I, I agree with you. One, I don't think there's going to be any legit, you know, play for him to be a starting quarterback. I would be shocked if he's brought anywhere to compete and be that. But he is, to me, the ultimate backup. He really is. You know, just he's played a lot. He's got all that experience. He can make some plays still off schedule and do those type of things. And he's one of the best I've ever seen about, oh, I got to come off the bench. I haven't been doing anything for three hours. No big deal. I'll just. I'll fling it around and make good decisions and fire it in there. I mean, he is capable of doing that. So he, from that standpoint, is is very you know intriguing as a backup quarterback. Let's shift to the Seahawks yeah. for a little while here. We, we've talked about the possibility that Russell Wilson will be traded. Let's say he stays. Yeah. What is it that the Seahawks need to do above all else by way of personnel acquisition to make the team better this offseason? I still think the defense is the number one thing I look at that needs work. Hey, like offensively, yeah, you know, do they need another running back in the fold and the offensive line a little bit better? Certainly, okay. But but I still think when I look at them, the biggest thing is their secondary. Hey, I like the two safeties. They got no cover corners in Seattle. That That to me is their biggest issue. They have nobody that can you can go, wait, it's a big play, we need to play man-to-man, -man, and we need to lock some people down here on third and four. That would be the number one issue. That, and listen, the pass rush thing's still real. They got a lot of good defensive linemen, and you know I love Jerron Reed on the inside. I think he's a baller. Puna Ford does a really good job for them. But you know guys like LJ Collier, a first-round pick, uh, you know, Carlos Dunlap, again, are good football players, but not like, you know, not the guys we've seen up there in Seattle where they can just, you can go, are, are you really going to leave them one-on-one -on -one all game long? I don't know about that. You know, that's what made them great back in the day. They had two or three of those guys at, at certain points. Right now, I don't know if they have any of those guys. So it, to me, as defense is still the biggest issue personnel-wise. And, you know, another issue they're going to have is this Jamal Adams contract extension. Uh -huh. How much does he want? How much right. is it going to take? How much do you feel compelled to justify the investment of two first-round picks to pay the guy what he wants? This trend that I don't like of making these big trades, whether it was Laramie Tunsil, Jalen Ramsey, and then Jamal Adams, multiple first-round picks. Yeah. 
for a guy who doesn't sign a new contract on his way through the door, it puts so much leverage on the side of the player. And and if, I'm going to flip the hypothetical around, if they would trade Russell Wilson, all of a sudden you're going to have Jamal Adams sounding a lot like he did when he was with the Jets. Well, maybe. I, I think... I feel like Jamal Adams is pretty, you know, bought into what what they're what they're doing up. Not there. if he's not winning. Well, not if he's not winning. Well, gotta win. You're right. Gotta win. You're right. Gotta win. It's gonna be scary. There, there's no doubt. But Pete is gonna, you know, sell to him. Hey, listen, Russell. I we drafted him when he was young and he wasn't that great yet, and we were winning. I can, He's gonna tell him I can do this again. And I gotta think, you know, he he's an amazing football player. He's one of the best in the game on the defensive side of the ball. He covers a lot of holes for their team. He really does. You know, I know people point at mistakes and things like that, but as you heard me say many times this year, I mean, they ask him to do things at safety that no other safety in football gets asked to do. None. He can do everything. Linebacker, pull in guards, fill the hole, make a tackle, blitz off the edge, you know, runs around like his hair's on fire and tackles everybody, covering receivers 40 yards down the field, you know, matching up with the tight end, matching up with he does everything. And for that defense, that is the Cam Chancellor position. And to me, it's it's vital. That's why, you know, like we've talked about Derwin, that's why the Chargers drafted Derwin James. It's that same position. It's vital to make that scheme work. And I think, you know, they both got each other, you know, by the kahunas, for lack of a better phrase there, to where they love each other and they'll get something done. 10 o'clock in London. Hello. Not, 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 not a worse phrase, although there are, there are worse phrases you could have used. So yes. uh, lack of a better, uh, definitely not lack of worse. Uh, so I, I, I feel like if they do trade Russell Wilson, we'll look back at the Jamal Adams trade and say they knew what was coming. You know, because the pendulum has to swing back to defense. So you give up a couple of lower round picks to get Jamal Adams, knowing that you're going to replenish potentially, yeah. eventually, when you trade Russell Wilson. Um, you, you can't go all in on both sides of the right, ball. Right. You can't. You can't. No. Um, I think and, you're right, and Mike. And they're clearly not all in on their, on their offense. No. They're clearly not all in. Uh, so Mike, I, I, I just I, – I hear I, you. Added to the fact that like, we talked about, you know, with like the Josh Allen rumors and the first pick of the draft and all those, that just tells you it's been on their radar. I mean, that's who he is, Pete Carroll. He want, I mean, he's still that way. That's why Russ wants out. He's just going, damn, okay, I give up. I give up. He wants to run the ball and play defense. That's what he wants to do. I, I played awesome. I was the best quarterback in football for eight, eight weeks. I had two games where I made a few mistakes. And they went, eh, eh, we're going back to Pete's way. And I think he just was like, okay, that's it. So I, I, they're dying. I think they're itching to go back to that style of football. I really do. It's just whether they can you know, figure out how to make these moves now is really the big question. That part of the story from The Athletic, when they had had two bad games, Russell Wilson had seven total turnovers. They had a short week coming up against the Cardinals. They right. were riding that emotion from the Hale Murray play. And Russell goes in with ideas on how to fix the offense, and they basically tell him, we'll handle that side of it, and he storms out of the room. That's all from the athletic report. That was jarring to me because the Seahawks haven't said anything publicly. There's no way that came from Russell Wilson's camp. That came from the Seahawks, and I'm just kind of waiting for them to say something, to say anything. Yeah. I don't, you know, last week at the Combine, if we would have had a Combine, but all this stuff would have been hitting the fan 
with John Schneider speaking to the media, with Pete Carroll speaking to the media, and some of these other teams have done that. I just I I can't help but wonder whether or not the Seahawks are trying to delay that as long as they possibly can because they know right. that every question is going to be about Russ. Yeah, I I I I would expect I would expect them to kind of just you know be quiet, lay in the weeds for now. They're going to and then trade to, him and then if and they look, do, yeah, if they do, or certainly they're going to exhaust all angles and do their homework and do that. You know, I don't think Pete Carroll and John Schneider are afraid to make aggressive moves either. Not that they're McVay or Les Snead. But they're certainly not scared to do what they got to do and kind of push the chips all in to where they want this team to go and all that. So, yeah, this is, to me, the, the, the story of the offseason. It's Russell Wilson and, and Deshaun Watson and what the hell happens with these two guys at quarterback. By the way, I don't know that this officially qualifies as a Simsism, but I'm always looking to expand the novel. What did the, I say? The volume, whatever I can. Kahuna, you say Kahuna. That, that's not... Cajones. Cajones and Kahuna are oh, two different things. I've been saying Kahuna that my whole life. An, an important person or a big wave. It's a Hawaiian term, Kahuna. Cajones means the thing well, that you're trying to You got to have so some Cajones know. to get on a surfboard and get one of those Kahunas. I know that, but there you go. holy cow. But I, I mean, I've never, I don't feel like I've ever heard anyone say cojones. I don't, I feel like everyone says kahunas, you know, I don't know. Am I wrong with that? Or I guess I'm I, wrong. I think you're wrong. Okay. I think you're wrong. And it's amazing. It took me three years to figure it out. Cause I just, I'm, I'm too busy thinking, oh God, every time you say kahuna, but they're right. Cojones. Cojones. Uh, kahuna. Right. I'm not cojones. fixing that. Potato, potato, yeah. tomato, tomato, <laughs> kahuna, cojones. Let's take a break. NFC West speed round is next. All right, NFC West, some great, great teams. At one point last year, we thought they'd put three teams in the playoffs. They ultimately got two, the Seahawks and the Rams. Let's spin it ahead to 2021. And we're going to do this on a scale of 1 to 10, speed round style, scale of 1 to 10, the impact of Kyler Murray as a potential free agent recruiter for the Cardinals, Chris. Ooh, it's up there for sure. I don't know if it's as high as, you know, the Mahomes, the Brady – you know, some of the those guys, but I'm going to put it at about, I'm going to say a seven, a seven. I'm seven, eight-ish, but I'll go with seven. And I think, you know, I also just, I, I look at them and go, they could use, I think, another big-time receiver. I another more. If you're going to play that way, they need more firepower. They want to open the field up, do that. Not that they need to go out and spend $20 million on a receiver, but another guy who's opposite of DeAndre Hopkins where you go, wait, he's one-on-one, -on -one? he's going to beat your guy, and you're in trouble. You better watch out for that. But I'll say seven. What about you? I'm going to say six. If they had made it to the playoffs, I'd feel more strongly about it. There's going to be so many other teams out there that I think are going to attract the guys who get cut or who become free agents and don't have other teams throwing a bunch of money at them. So they're going to take one-year deals. I think we're going to see a lot of one-year deals, and you're going to have guys gravitate toward the teams that are the clear contenders. The Cardinals are in, I think, a fairly narrow band of, I don't know which side of the line they're on. We, we've got the teams that we know are contenders, the teams that we are confident aren't, and then there's maybe a few where it's like, it could go either way. You're right, right. And, Agreed. And, I don't think we saw, we've seen enough from the Cardinals that Kyler Murray in and of himself is going to be able to recruit a bunch of guys to join the team. And I don't think it's in his nature to be kind of vocal and constantly texting someone and, and pushing that. That's just not who he is. Yeah. It's not who he is. And, and that, that's fine. 
we all have to be true to who we are. He's true to who he is, and I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to constantly pester someone, come join us, come join us, come join us, come join us, come join us. Larry Fitzgerald, what's the impact to the Cardinals if Fitzgerald retires scale of 1 to 10? Like a 4 or 5, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Larry Fitzgerald. I don't. I mean, again, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's, he's awesome. I think the main impact of him on the team is just leadership, work ethic, things he does like from that aspect. But as far as just pure ability and playmaking and all of those type of things, uh, you know, I don't look at that if he's not there as a huge loss to their football team. Yes, he does some things. He still run blocks well and does a lot of things that way, but I don't think it's a make-or-break thing for their offense. And listen, I don't like saying that because I really like Larry Fitzgerald. Well, but that's why they would need another receiver because I think we're all operating under the assumption he's going to retire. Right. I don't think he's ever taken it this long into yeah. his offseason to, to say he's coming back. Right. And he's also due to become a free agent. And I remember there was a time when I thought he was going to end up in Minnesota because he was a ball boy for the Vikings back in 98 when Chris Carter and Randy Moss and Jake Reed were there. And his father, Larry Fitzgerald Sr., sports writer in the Minnesota area, has said in the past, now it's been a while since he last said it, that he believes Larry will end up with the Vikings at some point. At this point, though, I think he's he's Arizona or no one. Uh, and uh, he's, an, he's another guy who can do anything he wants post-football, and he'll be successful at it, whether it's broadcasting. I've thought at times maybe he'll get into politics. I think he could have a real impact there. But uh, he, he, he's taking his time, and he's entitled to that. But the longer he takes, just like Drew Brees. Well, no, with Drew Brees, the longer he takes, the more we think he's coming back. Yeah. With Larry Fitzgerald, the longer he takes, the more we think he's going to retire. Uh, and I think four or five is the right range as well if he retires because he's not an integral part of that offense anymore. Impact of the Rams losing Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach of the same stadium Chargers. One to ten, what's the impact? I, I, I mean, I, it's low to me. Uh, you know, and that's not anything against Brandon Staley, but I'm going to say, you know, one or two because I, I just think that highly of Raheem Morris. I know I think Brandon Staley's awesome. He's definitely one of the best defensive minds in the game. I think Raheem Morris is like damn good too. He's right up there. So I think what he'll be, you know, it'll look a little different like we talked about earlier, but I don't think it's going to be like, oh man, wow, you know, this scheme just doesn't fit their team and it's not sound and it doesn't make sense. No way, no way. Raheem is the real deal Holyfield for sure. So I don't think it's a huge blow to them. I think they, they got a, you know, a, a gift in getting him as defensive coordinator. I still think it's more than one to lose Staley. The, the rave reviews he got, just the mere fact that the continuity factor isn't there. I think it's a four or a five. Okay. Uh, j just because you, you didn't hire Brandon Staley with the idea you'd be replacing him after one year, you wanted him to be there for a while. Just the disruption that comes from new defensive coordinator. But I agree with you. Raheem Morris could do a great job. And it's easier to do a great job when you've got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on that defense. Impact of the 49ers losing their defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, to the Jets 1-10. to Well, uh, this is to me a little bit uh, of a, a, a greater one here. I'm going to go with like a 7. You know, I just I don't know. I don't know D'Amico Ryans. I haven't seen him you know, be defensive coordinator yet. I got a lot of evidence on Raheem Morris. 
and a lot of evidence just from this past year to go, damn, he did some awesome things with like not that talented of a defense there in Atlanta when he took over. You know, Salah's special. His energy, his leadership, and even, you know, I'm you know me, I don't I don't always love that Seattle scheme, but he threw enough little curveballs in there to make it you know, not as predictable as maybe some other people who run in that or running that scheme. Uh, but I just, D'Amico Ryan's unproven at this point. I, I, I don't doubt that he can be a really damn good coach and he's been around football, but uh, he, he has not done it. So that that's to me where I'll go with like a, a seven here. Now, Raheem Morris has a lot more coaching experience than D'Amico Ryan's. You know, Morris was not a defensive coordinator in the NFL for the first time until last year. I, I, I know, I know, but he was acting like a defensive coordinator when I was with him in, in Tampa Bay. He was phenomenal. He really was. And the people he learned from and was around, whether it's Monty Kiffin, Rod Marinelli, Mike Tomlin, Joe Barry, who's the new defensive coordinator up in Green Bay. I mean, they were all like defensive coordinators. They were amazing. So uh, I know it doesn't – It doesn't. Uh, I, I didn't really think about that aspect of it, but it doesn't affect my decision either way. One thing I'd never known, and if I did, I'd forgotten it. During his time with the Buccaneers, he left for a year to be the defensive coordinator at Kansas State. Right. Then was back. And then went back. The following season. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's strange. Did that lead to them taking the quarterback, you know, uh, out of Kansas State, Freeman? Oh. I can't remember Josh that. Josh Freeman. Yeah. I think. But, or was it 2009? Or I that was remember. 2009. That was Raheem's first year as head coach, 2009. Right. Right. That was the year they drafted Josh Freeman, yep. who who did well until Greg Schiano became the coach, and uh, then he was he was done. All right, one more impact of the Seahawks changing offensive coordinators, setting aside the Russell Wilson factor. Just Shane Waldron in for Brian, Brian Schottenheimer, one to ten. Well, I, I I certainly think it's an improvement. I do. Um, Schottenheimer, there's things I like, but uh, Waldron's going to be able to bring different aspects and angles to this offense that they have not had. So uh, impact there. Again, I'm not going to go, oh, it's a 10. It's going to be so awesome. But I'll, I'll, I'll go with the, the cop-out number seven again. I'll agree with you. The question is, will Waldron have the cojones yeah. to become the kahuna? <laughs> we'll see. Let's take a break. Our Monday draft next here on PFT Live. Tiger Woods reacting to the fact that plenty of the golfers yesterday wearing the traditional Tiger Woods Sunday uniform, black pants, red shirt, very moving for Tiger, who was in that awful car wreck last week. We wish him the best as he recovers. That caused us to uh, come up with an inspiration for today's draft, the coolest NFL tributes. Chris, trivia question. Tiger Woods went to Stanford. There are two Stanford alumni who currently are NFL executives. Name them both. Whoa, I am well, John Elway's one, but the second one, hold on a second here. Let me pull up the teams here. I'm stunned. Uh, it's that uh, oh, John Lynch, duh. That helped me. Thank you. Just saying I'm stunned. Yes. When you said I'm stunned, <laughs> when you said I'm stunned, I knew it was somebody I had been with before. And when you said that, I was like, oh, gosh, you're right. And so that, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Bam. Killed it. All right. All right. Um, I think the first one I'm going to go with here will be Sean Taylor and what the Washington football team at the time did, right? They lined up with 10 football players uh, to start a game well, because, of course, he was the starting safety and one of the best safeties in football. That was a pretty awesome tribute that uh, will be my first pick. Certainly an awesome player. Tragic death there. 
for Sean Taylor. I played against the guy. He was one of those guys, Mike, where you were like, is this really a safety? Like, what? How the hell can he be a safety and that big and move that way and everything about him? He was awesome and, and certainly left us too quickly. Amazing to think of what he could have become. Yeah. And he was maturing. He was developing. He had some rough spots early in his career, but he could have been every bit as good, if not better, than Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed. And I, I have a feeling he's the kind of guy where you always want to know where he is on the field just because Definitely. you don't want him to do to you what he did to Brian Mormon in the Pro Bowl that one year, uh, which was uh, as devastating a hit as you'll ever see. Go look it up on YouTube once you're done enjoying today's edition of PFT Live. First one for me, and it happened last year at the Super Bowl, and we were in the press box in Miami, and I was sitting there with MDS and Shereen Williams, and it's like, what are the players doing? Like, well, I didn't understand what they were doing. Why are they out on the field? Why are they lined up where they're lined up? They were doing a Kobe Bryant tribute. All players from each team on the 24-yard line on each side of the 50. And it was just days after the death of Kobe Bryant that turned the sports world upside down. It was the 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 topic of conversation all week long at the Super Bowl. People were upset. People were stunned. People were surprised. People were moved. And so many current athletes had looked to Kobe Bryant as an example, as a role model for their efforts to fight through adversity and achieve the best they could. And that was completely unexpected. Out of left field, happened the day of the Super Bowl. And and I'll just never forget that feeling of wondering what they were doing. I, right. I don't know how it was handled on TV, but I remember sitting in the press box being completely perplexed at what we were seeing. Yeah, that, that was really cool. Listen I, listen, I thought there was like three things that you could, and I'm not going to do it now that you brought that up, but three things just from that Super Bowl that you could probably pick. You know, the the way they honored, you know, the, the 100 greatest players of all time and all of that stuff. I thought that was really cool. And then really, I still get chills about just the spectacle of the 100th year of football and the kid, you know, the passing of the torch video and the kid running into the tunnel. I thought that was really one of the more well-done pregame events that I, that I can remember. Uh, that was really cool. But you're right. The, the Kobe Bryant was awesome. Um, I'm going to go back to something that was, you know, hit home to me. And that's the yellow armbands for the Gulf War back in, you know, the Super Bowl 25. I thought that was an amazing tribute. Uh, you know, did, of course, the NFL is so strict with their uniforms and everything like that, and you can get fined $10,000 because there's a centimeter missing on your, bl your blue sock and all that crap, right? But that was a great way to honor our troops over there in a very tough, weird time. Uh, so the yellow armbands, uh, certainly one that, that rings true to me. Second time that's come up in less than a week. It was one of the artifacts I want to own, the Everson Walls right. yellow wristband that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated after that win over the Bills in Super Bowl twenty-five. Next one for me is a tribute that didn't happen, but that Peyton Manning wanted to do when John Unitas died. He wanted to wear black cleats oh. in honor of Johnny Unitas. And yeah. back at the time, Talk about no fun league. Well, All the players right. had to wear the same color shoes. Now you've got a range of different shoes you can wear, and now they do the My Cause, My Cleats once a year. But but uh, the Colts wore white, so Johnny Unitas's black shoes could not be worn by Peyton Manning, and they threatened to fine him, so he didn't do it. Uh, his quote at the time was, I think every quarterback should wear black cleats this weekend in honor of John Unitas. Uh, but, but just the fact that it was a big story – and it's a shame the NFL didn't let him do it, but uh, I, I, that's one that I always remember. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. I mean that that is one of those where you'd go, come on NFL, like come on, like, let's use a little common sense here. This isn't that big of a deal. 
Uh, and that speaks into like what I was just saying, the one centimeter of, you know, blue not showing in the socks and all of that. All right. I, I am going like personal here because um, th this this to me was, it was one of the coolest tributes I've ever been a part of. All right. Would be my dad's retirement. Okay, my dad's retirement. They're playing the great Dallas Cowboys. You're going to go on and win the Super Bowl on the opening Monday night of the football season. But the, screw my dad part, okay? All right, screw that. <laughs> what was cool was Lawrence Taylor being there. And my father got to throw a pass to the greatest giant of all time, right, and Lawrence Taylor. And it just was an amazing moment as a young kid for me to witness that, do that. And, you know, here's the best part of it, Mike, all right? Because my dad and Lawrence were very close throughout their career, right? And I think this was a time maybe they hadn't seen each other in a few years. Lawrence shows up at the retirement thing. And I can still remember Lawrence walking out in the field with us. And, you know, I was always in awe of Lawrence. I mean, he was like bigger than God. But he goes up to dad. So now dad's going, I want to throw a pass to Lawrence Taylor. And I, Lawrence, I don't think, had any idea this was going to go on quite like this. And I'm sitting there close. And now Lawrence is, you know, coming up and he's giving the ball to my dad. And I can still remember him going, okay, okay, don't throw it too hard. <laughs> he said something like that. And, you know, dad kept waving him down the field and hit him. But that just for me, from a personal experience, was as, as cool as it gets. Was that the night that you were there? With I was the there with the comb over. And that's right, yeah. the comb over. And I was the freshman quarterback. There I am. Woo, man, look at that hair and that polo shirt. And... Uh, and look, there's there's my mom, there's Dirty Diana, and then there's my dad's my dad's mom, uh, Big Barber Sims, who I told you, look at her, she's five eleven and got hands like a middle linebacker and square shoulders, and um, that was just such a cool night. Also, what I was worried about that night, I was a freshman starting on the varsity football team. And all the older guys were like, you're going to be on TV tonight. You better give us a signal. If you don't give us a signal, we're going to kick your butt in hazy tomorrow in the locker room and all that. So I had to like sit there and rub my ear. They want me to rub my ear. I'm in the background of my dad, dad's retirement thing, rubbing my ear just to make sure I, I didn't get beat up or tortured by some junior or senior on the, the high school football team the next day. I, I'm surprised you didn't scratch your ear with your middle finger. I really legitimately <laughs> I am now. surprised. Yeah, I, yeah, that's stunning to me. Uh, okay, uh, last one for me. I, th th it's and, and I remember the first time I noticed it, and it's been there ever since, the permanent memorial to George Hallis on the uniform of the Chicago Bears. Right. It's always there, the GSH. It's always there. I thought the Dolphins should have done something like that with Don Shula's initials or yeah. name or something work it into the uniform and make it a permanent part of it some some of these figures are too closely connected to an organization to not be remembered permanently and uh, I, I suspect gsh is going to be on the bears uniform uh for as long as the bears are playing football chris yeah I, that, that is uh it is really cool it, it's so you know like it's such a part of you forget it's even there sometimes until you say it and think about it and you go yeah yeah I forgot I forgot it's a it's hey special guy you know makes you think why does Green Bay not have something about Vince Lombardi somewhere on their uniform too just to remind everybody that you know he was a huge part of their organization one quick thing before we take a break something I found that really didn't fit into this category yeah but it kind of does the model for the Walter Payton NFL man of the year trophy which is one of the best trophies in all of sports Stephen Wright a guy who played in the NFL back in the 60s and he's still alive he's 78 but he was the guy that they built that that model from and it it's also that awesome logo patch that 
that everyone who wins it so wears cool. on right. his jersey for the rest of his career. Right. Stephen Wright, guy who played back in the 60s, not a remarkable career, but but that was, you know, with the big the, the, those big giant capes they'd wear yeah. over their uniforms during the game. So that, so that was kind of awesome. All right, let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. Irv Cross, a two-time pro bowler with the Eagles in the 1960s and then became one of the key figures of the NFL today when it launched on CBS in 1975, passed over the weekend at the age of 81. And Chris, I discovered football early 70s. NFL Today comes along 1975. I mean, that is burned into my brain, and it just takes me back to those days growing up every Sunday, 12 o'clock, Brett Musburger, Irv Cross, Jimmy oh. the Greek, Phyllis George, over and over and over again. And I never knew he played. I, I'm a dumb kid. I'm a dumb adult, too. I never knew he actually played. I just thought, hey, he's a guy on TV talking about football. And I think at some, I'm sure at some point uh, I, I, I heard it, I read it, I saw it. But uh, he, he was so good in that role. And for so many of us who discovered football in the 70s, it, it hurts because it really takes us back to those formative years when we fell in love with the sport. Yeah. And uh, th those are the enduring names and voices. Yeah. No, it, to me, that is football. That's what I grew up with. I mean, that that is, you said it. John Madden, Pat Summerall, Brent Musburger, Jimmy the Greek, Irv Cross. Are you kidding me? That still gives me chills. Every time there's a big game, watching them come on TV, doing all that, uh, they will, you know, forever be known, and especially him. He was great to watch. And uh, R.I.P. Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire in the early 70s. You knew it was a big game when they had it. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. See ya.